This podcast is intended as entertainment for grown-ups and to spread awareness of 826LA, a nonprofit writing and tutoring center for children ages 6 to 18. For a full schedule of 826LA's events and programs, including the Echo Park Time Travel Mart, visit 826LA.org. And now, here's the host of the Dead Authors Podcast, Mr. H.G. Wells. Greetings all and welcome to Chapter 15 of the Dead Authors Podcast. I am your host, H.G. Wells, and unlike your typical podcast host, I have the ability to travel through time. Strike that, I've got a machine that travels through time. I merely sit in it as it does. Apologies for the nitpick, but as scientists, I think we can all agree that precision in speech and thinking is vitally important. I mean, could you even imagine someone claiming to travel through time without the aid of some type of transport? You'd think that person had gone balmy. Well, rest assured, I am quite sane. I can only travel through time because I am in possession of a vehicle that is essentially a section of mahogany floorboards with a cushy lounge chair atop it and a bloody great spinning dish attached to the back. It simply couldn't be more scientific. Fans of my work often press me for details about the workings of my fantastic machine, but I keep those close to the gilded watch fob that dangles just so from the pocket of my bespoke tweed vest. It simply wouldn't do to have every Tom, Dick, and don't let's beat about the bush, jewels, lumbering hither and yon through the time stream like a bull in Harrod's China department. Also, I don't quite understand it. I mean, the dashboard is certainly marked clearly enough. Go, stop, future, past, all that. Plus an aftermarket cup holder and USB port I had installed. But I am loath to tinker any further than that. Don't get me wrong, I am a man of science and a visionary when it comes to the ways of the future. I've just always been a bit useless with my hands. I recall my attempts as a lad to assist my father in building a rudimentary dollhouse for my older sister. Tasked with assembly of the porte cochere, I laboured for hours, only to end up with a rather shabby structure that undoubtedly would have failed even the most cursory inspection by the most corrupt doll official, and would have surely been condemned by the doll council. And though I do love having such smooth, uncalloused hands, my best feature after my moustache, though I say so myself, those painful memories still torture me to this day. Speaking of torture! While our guest for this edition of the podcast would mercilessly lash away at your flesh given half the chance, all you'll feel is an assault on your ears mounted by his vowel-strangling French accent. And now, without further ado, here's chapter 15 of the Dead Authors podcast, The Marquis de Sade. Oh. Very, <laughs> very sumptuous velvet curtain you're enjoying. It feels decadent to the hand. <laughs> bonsoir, mes amis. Bonsoir, bonsoir. Uh, Marky, uh, how I was just listening backstage to a song, uh, Sad Don Moi. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> What a terrific song that is. It is a modern song. It is a sort of Don Moi, yeah? I, b- I believe it's inspired by, uh, by you. That we're together. Yeah, that's right. And I want to say, you know, in French, Don Moi, just give it to me, right? <laughs> I want to say to the singer of this song, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Let me find you. Is the singer of that song here this evening? <laughs> the search continues. No. Ah, yeah. Because I'll give her all kinds of things. She'd be surprised. She, she may not be surprised, given if she, if she knows enough about you to write this song. It seems yes. like she might have an idea. She's, well, I don't care for the way you, you're looking at me at all. It's making me deeply uncomfortable. But I always come up with some surprise. I'm surprised at how much more disgusted I, I am by you than I thought I was going to be. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Always a surprise. I think I'm going to be pretty disgusting, and he's like ten times that. <laughs> Fair play to you, Your Excellency. Uh, thank you for being here. Would you mind uh, favoring us with a, with a reading from one of your works? Certainly, I will favor you as reading from the works. Yes, you have one folded up in your pocket. S- someone have given it to me. It is page from the book. Justine, 
which I have written. <laughs> it's about the, I don't know what it's about. It's about a girl, the poor young orphan heroine of this book. Yeah. The, the is, titular Justine. That's right. Is seeking a shelter in the home of the wealthy tradesman Dubourg. And so she says this at some point in the book. She says these words. <laughs> at some point in the book. <laughs> at this particular scene in the, in the novel. I have written so many things. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> All a tremble I arrived. Dubois was alone. And in a state yet more indecent than on the previous day. <laughs> it can be imagined. Welcome. You're not too late. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Surprises. <laughs> Brutality, libertinage, all the characteristics of the debauchee glittered in his cunning glances. Thank the Stroch, he said harshly. <laughs> For it is as a favor to her, I intend to show you an instant's kindness. You must surely be aware how little you deserve it after your performance yesterday. <laughs> Undress yourself! And if you once again manifest the least resistance to my desires... You just got besotted. <laughs> Two men waiting for you in the next room will conduct you to a place whence you will never emerge alive. Oh, it sounds bad, right? Oh, monsieur, say I, weeping, clutching the wicked man's knees, Unbend, I beseech you, be so generous as to relieve me without requiring what would be so costly I should rather offer you my life than submit to it. Yes, I prefer to die a thousand times over than violate the principles I received in my childhood. <laughs> is she... Is this young girl German? <laughs> because it sounds now that I am German it's, rather it's than French? Of, yes. <laughs> it is not uncommon for a Frenchman to have a German reading voice. <laughs> Monsieur, monsieur, constrain me not, I entreat you. Can you conceive of gleaning happiness in the depths of tears and disgust? What a line that is. <laughs> Dare you suspect pleasure where you see naught but loathing? No sooner shall you, shall you have consummated your crime than my despair will overwhelm you with remorse, which is a great thing to say in a situation like this. But the infamies to which Duberg abandoned himself prevented me from continuing. That I was able to believe myself capable of touching a man who was already finding in the very spectacle of my suffering one further vehicle for his horrible passions. <laughs> Would you believe it, madame? Becoming inflamed by the shrill accents of my pleadings, inflamed. You know what we're saying. I, I think, yes. Savoring them human inhumanly, the wretch disposed himself for his criminal attempts. He gets up and exhibiting himself to me in a state over which reason is seldom, seldom triumphant. We're talking about a boner. And <laughs> wherein the opposition of the object which causes reason's downfall is but an additional ailment to delirium still talking about a boner. He seizes me brutally, impetuously snatches away the veils which still conceal what he burns to enjoy. He caresses me. Oh, what a picture! Great God, what unheard of mingling of harshness and lewdness. It seems that the supreme being wished in that first of my encounters to imprint forever in me all the horror I was to have for a kind of crime whence there was to be more. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm writing. Blah, 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 blah. I, I blah, blah, blah. lost the thread. But here's the good part. <laughs> Duborg's flames were extinguished in the fury of his enterprises. Heaven intervened in my behalf against the monster before he could commit the offenses he was readying for. And the loss of his powers before the sacrifice could occur preserved me from being its victim. He lost his boner. <laughs> oh, I see. The Marquis de Sade, ladies and gentlemen, from, Thank you. from Justine. Thank you. What a terrific scene from a terrific book. <laughs> I was going to get fucked and he lost his boner. 
Now, Marky, you've had uh, you've had quite the interesting. <laughs> you still still thinking fondly of? No, oh. I'm just thinking I should have only written that. <laughs> uh, Anyways, you, a lot less words. You've had a. <laughs> uh, you've had quite an interesting life. Well, that's true. Yes. In addition to uh, uh, to becoming uh, quite renowned for these uh, these uh, these. <laughs> These erotic there is works. nothing more in important to me than comfort, and it's difficult in this chair. I know you. You, you seem like as if you want to recline, and yet it's uh, these are just always these. <laughs> these these chairs certainly a stiff back chairs certainly don't allow for such a thing. You make a good point. Would you Would you like to push these two chairs together? I'll give you my chair as well, and then you could uh, you could sort of lay supine if you can. You You could get right up here on the table if you like. Perhaps in time. <laughs> Surprises. Surprises. Uh, you, you have... <laughs> you've, uh, in addition to uh, becoming quite famous and infamous... For these, uh, for, the <laughs> for these erotic, uh, erotically charged uh, works, uh, you're also n notably imprisoned several times. Yes, that is right. Committed uh, to insane asylum. True enough. More than once. Many more times than once. <laughs> I have been in so very many jails over the time. Sometimes I am put in jail for my writings. Sometimes I am put in jail for poisoning a prostitute. <laughs> but I have no regrets for any of the times I have gone. Uh, well, altogether, it's, it amounts to about 32 years you were incarcerated. That's right. O off and on. Off and on. A lot of the time I get out of jail because I escape from there. <laughs> Some of the time, somebody will say, hey, let him out of jail. <laughs> One of the times, it was because there was a lot of uh, beheadings of nobility going on. Yes, that's And true. everything was crazy. And some people said, hey, open up the doors to the jail and let's see what happens. Because we're experimenting anyway. <laughs> and I get out that way. Now, that must have been a terrifying time. You're, of course, referring to the, the French Revolution, uh, uh, when the, the aristocracy was the enemy. People, the, the people were uprising against the aristocracy. Wham. Now, as, as an aristocrat yourself, you were an aristocrat and in prison. Were you yeah. worried uh, walking out of that cell? What was going to happen? This was the thing. Look at them coming so late. <laughs> as though nothing bad can happen to them. Technically, Something like bad. 19 minutes, 19 minutes. <laughs> 19 so you're minutes. You're obstructing the view of uh, the, these uh, fancy people here. In my time, you would be locked in an insane asylum for that. <laughs> or poisoning a prostitute. <laughs> for surely, arriving late to a show, you might as well be poisoning a prostitute. Personally, I can never tell what will get you in jail. <laughs> well, now, that's... I, I have no being, way of knowing. You're being a bit disingenuous. <laughs> no, I have no idea. You consistently, you would you would be incarcerated for for either uh, 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 physically assaulting prostitutes, poisoning them. You'd go well, to jail. Well, the important word there being prostitutes. Yeah, well, <laughs> then you'd get back out, right back to poisoning and physically abusing prostitutes. Yeah, but uh, it gets me in jail again. Doesn't seem right. Anyway, oh, you saying it's? I have already been to jail for it. But if you had, perhaps if you'd poisoned and physically abused the same prostitutes, that's what you're looking at. Double jeopardy is what you're looking. <laughs> that's at. what I'm talking. Yeah. I've already been to jail for this. You can't send me again. <laughs> anyway, so the French Revolution. Uh, they open up. They storm the Bastille. Sure, uh, they did. There's yeah. the Marquis de Sade wandering, it, blinking out into the sunshine, <laughs> or into the torchlight. I forget what time of day they let you out. It was at night time, you are right. <laughs> so yes, uh, I was an aristocrat, and so for that reason, I thought maybe they cut off my head. But also, I was a weirdo. <laughs> and more than I was an aristocrat, I was a weirdo. <laughs> and that was basically my pitch. I says, look. <laughs> okay, yeah, I come from an old family, I'm an aristocrat, but trust me, I'm gonna make shit interesting out here. And they said, okay, that's fine. And not only that, but I was to become in the government. Not only that, I got elected to positions in the government. That's true. Yes. Did, did you enjoy public service? Was that something that, it, uh, you know, of all the things you've done, did, did you enjoy uh, being a servant of the people? It was a lot of fun to run for office. My slogan was, okay, sometimes I pose in a prostitute. <laughs> 
But if you're not a prostitute, what's the problem? <laughs> at, the, at that point, prostitutes did not have the right to vote. No, they sure did not. Right. It was not as catchy as liberté, égalité, fraternité, but it worked <laughs> for a slogan. The results speak for themselves. Indeed. Uh, are you proud of, uh, of the, the work that you did? Can you, can you think of anything notable that you did while you were in office? Or was it mainly, uh, was it something that you, uh, that you relish doing or did you sort of avoid the, the, the bureaucracy of it all? Well, it is very, very frustrating to try to get laws passed and to work with people to try to build a coalition to make it legal to have a dungeon in your house <laughs> where you can tie up people and flay them with a cat of nine tails. <laughs> But I did get some uh, co-signers to that law. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, but in general, no, it's very frustrating to be in the laws. What about uh, your military service? You, you were, uh, at one point you, were, uh, you became, uh, you, you pursued a military career becoming a colonel of a dragoon regiment. You fought in the Seven Years' War. Uh, what was your military experience like? Did, did, you, did you enjoy uh, being in, in the military? Well, you know, I really did, I have to tell you, because uh, there was a great part of it where you could put a knife in someone. And, but that was not all of it. A lot of it was like, uh, we got to eat and sleep and march from here to there. And so sometimes you would say, okay, listen, while you guys are eating and sleeping, I'll probably go put a sword in someone because that was what I signed up for. And you just had to find somebody to do it to. And a lot of time it was like, that's not the enemy. Well, was it a prostitute? <laughs> a lot of the time it was a prostitute. Here's the thing. <laughs> you can make anyone a prostitute. <laughs> now, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I follow that. Oh, completely. it's very easy. You only have to fuck them and give them money. <laughs> but now, Then you can do whatever you want to them. But they have to... In order for them to be uh, truly a prostitute, they must accept the money. Oh, yeah, but you can get them to a place where they don't have a choice about it. <laughs> I mean, the, the you can make it so that they're not fighting when you give them that money. <laughs> I ask, is this the sort yeah. of reasoning you would use in court when you were on trial for poisoning prostitutes? That's right. I Do would... you think that's where the case went badly? Listen, maybe the law is different today, but back then it was crazy. You could not go into a courtroom and say, yes, I plead guilty, I killed a prostitute. What? I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> it was not possible, I don't know what it's like today, but it was not possible to plead guilty to a crime and explain that you don't want to go to jail and then not go there. <laughs> That's, that's remained a cornerstone of jurisprudence today. It's, it's, you do have to do more than just say, I would prefer not to go to jail. Well, that's ridiculous because it's... <laughs> Certainly it is. All it does is make a lot of work for me to escape from there. Now, uh, we'll, we'll delve more into your, your, your exploits, but uh, I, I, it is worth noting, and I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, uh, no. you, you were married, um, and you had uh, two sons and a daughter. Did you enjoy fatherhood? Oh, yes, I'm very proud of my children. I have teach them how to kill people and torture people and make fucking wherever you want. At uh, what age does this begin, this oh, tutelage? You have to start young. And the thing about it is that you ha if you want to read your children books with really proper morals, you have to write them yourself. Now, would you would I you have read many unpublished children books? Oh, so you would you would write you would write a, a book specifically for your own uh, children? Yeah, that's right. Because you go to try to find a children book, and it's all about uh, try not to be bad, or <laughs> something like that, or this boy was bad and a bad thing happened, or it's nice to make a friend. <laughs> Or it's really good if everybody will share or something. <coughs> but it's better to have a book that say, hey man. <laughs> if you can get away with it, <laughs> try to do it. <laughs> and if somebody get hurt, okay. 
anything goes. Most of my book for my children ended with the phrase, anything goes. Instead of the end. <laughs> and he lived happily ever after. Anything goes. Speaking of your, your marriage, at one point, uh, um, y one of the reasons, one of the, one of the your, your jail terms uh, was a result of your own mother-in-law uh, oh, yeah, alerting yeah. the authorities. And um, she managed to pro procure what, is, what was known as uh, uh, lettre de cachet, Owie. which meant that uh, you were you were arrested and you went straight to jail. <laughs> the courts were not involved at all. You right. were denied any sort of jurisprudence right. whatsoever. I was happy with that. Because <laughs> to me, it is a waste of time to have a trial if they're going to put you in jail just for saying what you did. But uh, yes, that was actually the beginning of this whole idea of people don't like their mother-in-laws. <laughs> Before that, it was always a good relationship. <laughs> Helpful around the house and wonderful in the kitchen. But so you're saying in your own way, uh, you've been an influence on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> you're saying a case could be made. Yes, that that character is very much based around me. <laughs> The character of Patricia Heaton. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The character right. that she plays, Ray's wife. That's right. It's very much based around me and the hatred of the mother-in-law. She was very cruel to Ray. <laughs> She's very mean to him. Certainly she was. sadistic, my, one oh, might say. Oh, absolutely. Sure she was. Let me ask, how does that feel to have a... a, a your name was made into a term. It's... it's uh, is that, uh, that must be exciting for it you. It really is terrific, and it's a great word. Um, to be sadistic is to uh, really enjoy making someone have pain. And... Uh, but what can I say? Uh, describe me to a T. Uh, I'm very proud to have a word. Do you have a word? Sometimes people say, well... That is true. Very, very rarely are they thoughtful enough to add the S. <laughs> well, let's see about that. <laughs> is that so difficult? I think it's easy enough. People should start to do it. Well, 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 look who's here. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Uh, Get wells soon. <laughs> Twice the amount of, of well wishing that you that you uh, you're wishing someone. Right. I wish you wells. Yeah. Don't just get well. <laughs> get wells. Get wells. That's my slogan when I'm running for office. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. We could be a great ticket. You're not you a prostitute. Get wells. Come on. <laughs> Hey, I don't want to kill you. You're not a prostitute. Get wells. You, you, uh, no, I put myself on the top of the ticket there. Uh, that's, uh, while you were political, you were you were on the far left, a, a more uh, progressive uh, uh, sort of. Well, clearly, <laughs> more progressive. Very progressive. Uh, what what do you make of the political climate today? We're, we're in the midst of, as 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 of this recording. We're in the midst of an election season here in America. Right, yes. It's very fun, isn't it, to see them uh, hammer away at each other. Yes, it is fun. It's yes. fun for people like us uh, who are not affected by the outcome. Yeah, that's right. It's delightful. Right. Us and the, uh, the people on the television who are watching it, the pundits who are saying, oh, this is a fun election season. Yeah, right. Because they have jobs forever. <laughs> so the, it doesn't matter who wins, they will always have a job. That's so it's right. fun. It's a lot of fun, yeah. It's fun when I it like... doesn't affect you. It's fun. Yes, yes, it's great. But I wish that... Uh, they would settle it in a better way than to have the television commercial and they never come face to face. Maybe sh these guys should be thrown in a pit <laughs> with a couple of knives mm -hmm. and a whole lot of naked girls. <laughs> it wouldn't be bad if somebody brought some fire <laughs> and check it out like that. <laughs> Anything goes. Anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I would do if it was if I was in charge of the politic. 
at one point in your career, uh, 1796, uh, you'd fallen on hard times. You that were, was a great year. You, well, <laughs> perhaps not all of it. You were, you were destitute, uh, and you had to sell your, your, your castle in La Costa. I'm telling was, you, that was the best. What, really? <laughs> Absolutely. You were happy to unload the castle? I was unshackled from the castle. You didn't enjoy castle life? Castle I, th living? I did when I was there, but when I was thrown out to the street, I realized, hey, nobody give a shit what you do out here. You can sleep wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. There's no rules to society, right? You say too many rules in that castle. So many rules in that castle, like you gotta be in a castle. <laughs> no, I just say, hey, oh, I didn't want that castle to begin with. Here I am out on the street now, and I'm like a regular crazy person. <laughs> The expectation of you when you live in a castle is very high. That guy's got to have his shit together. He lives in a fucking castle, right? True. When you're out on the street, it's like, eh, they cut you some slack. Very low, very low expectations from others. It's the soft bigotry of low expectation. So soft, so well, soft. Well said. Well, so, so very so soft. soft. Like this curtain. Oh. Uh, one of your most famous arrests, uh, you'd, you'd published uh, uh, Justine um, uh, anonymously uh, because it was very racy work. And yes. uh, Napoleon Bonaparte himself issued an order for your arrest. Uh, That's right. It was right. a big manhunt to find out uh, who was the author of, uh, of Justine. Was that, was that a terrifying time? When you knew that, was, uh, that, that warrant for your arrest was out, did you, uh, did you uh, consider hiding? Did you, what did you do? How did you approach it? Well, uh, no, actually the opposite is true. Uh, I was pretty proud of that book. <laughs> and it was really hard not to put my name on that one. Because like you just saw that I read there, it was... Uh, I found like a hundred different ways to talk about a boner in there. <laughs> Just in the two paragraphs, you, you had three, I think. I know. I was like, uh, how many ways to talk about a boner and still make it make sense as a story? <laughs> it's a challenge many writers face. Well, it was a lot of fun, but I was going to put it out, and uh, everybody said, hey, don't do that, because... Uh, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte has a famous small dick, man. <laughs> he don't want to read about boners all day long. So <laughs> I was told, don't put your name on that. It's just going to make him crazy. So I says, all right. So I put it out under, I only say anonymous, right? Sure enough, he read every word of it. <laughs> Seething the whole time. The whole time all about his boner. He goes crazy, crazy. Goes, hey, he says, call off everything else I'm doing. We're going to find this guy. <laughs> now, meanwhile, I'm walking around going, hey, it was me that wrote that because uh, I was proud of it, right? Everybody says, Marky, shut up. <laughs> this is close friends, associates. Everybody. Un unpoisoned prostitutes. They're like, this Napoleon, he don't fool around, you know? <laughs> He's crazy, right? You've seen his hat. Yes, right. You say you got. He wear wears a Napoleon hat. <laughs> That's how crazy he is. You gotta be crazy to wear a fucking Napoleon he hat. He thinks man. he's Napoleon. Well, right. <laughs> he's got a. They name a great dessert after that guy. Anyway, <laughs> he's going crazy. Who wrote this book? I'm walking around going, I wrote this book, right? So sure enough, they find me. And I'm back in court again. And I say, look, I wrote that book. Can I read it to you? And they were like, OK. And it was like a three-week trial. Because I just read every word and explained to them every time it was about a boner. I said, now, that's about a boner. I said, that's about a boner again. Anyways, yeah, so I end up in jail. But I don't have any regret about it. And when they told me, it looks like you're going to go to jail, I went out and I killed three prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> right. So I guess, I don't get it. You write a book, you go to jail. You kill three prostitutes, you go to jail. It doesn't make any sense to me. You might as well live every day as if you're going to jail for killing prostitutes. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Uh, now, while... Uh, Wells said. That... <laughs> uh, 
During this particular imprisonment, uh, you were remanded to uh, an insane asylum. You were declared insane. Right. And you were transferred uh, to, to an asylum for the second time. Uh, at that point, uh, the director of that particular institution was a very kind man, and he encouraged you to, uh, to put on plays of your works using the other inmates of the asylum. What That's was right. that like? How did you enjoy the, thea the theatrical experience? Well, those people were shithouse crazy. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, it was wild. And at a certain point, you, try, you go in with a play, and you say, hey, I have written a play. You guy over there who is constantly pulling out his hair. This guy over here who cut off both of his hands for no fucking reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Huh? He cut off the both of his hands? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Yes. <laughs> How do you get that the, second one off? The, the writer in me is intrigued. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. His name was Jean-Claude Sofutni. <laughs> Sofut LaSalle. Jean-Claude Jean Sofut LaSalle. Jean well, that was his nickname. So, was he a sort of, uh, was he a sort of genetic... <laughs> mutant who had a sort of bony saw where a foot should be or was it that uh, he was a sort of piratical figure and he had <laughs> an amputated foot and, and in place of a, a hook or a, a peg leg he'd had a saw installed I'm afraid the explanation is so much simpler than either of those <laughs> very excited to have it revealed in happier times he was a circus performer And his act was, I'm going to saw all of these logs of wood. You expect me to do it with my hands? And then he will do it with his feet. What, what a terrible circus. Well. <laughs> Even worse than the regular circus. It, I should specify it was a circus of the insane. Oh, so he was, he was insane while he was a, whilst he was no, a circus no, before. There was a very popular circus of the insane. And then at some point it went bankrupt and they all went into the asylum. <laughs> so there was all kinds of guys in there. Certainly. Who were some of the other people? Lots of there? other skills. <laughs> lots of other skills. There was a guy named the Human Torch. Uh -huh. Oh, really, he was, he looked bad. <laughs> because there was no trick. I mean, he just set himself on fire. <laughs> At every performance, and then it was, how quick can we put him out? <laughs> and should we even bother? <laughs> anyway, there was that guy. Would he at least let people know? Was there any sort of announcement now? The human torch shall become a blaze. Or was it all of a sudden, no, the human torch has done it again. It was hard to organize that circus. <laughs> There was also a bearded lady who had cut the face of a bearded man off and glued it onto her own face. Bit, bit of a cheat. And man, it smelled terrible. It was a rotting face flesh. Oh, so it wasn't something she would, it wasn't an act that she would repeat. It was just the one time, and then it was on there for good. She had to do it again every nine months or so because. Ooh, nine months? It would be so covered in maggots. <laughs> I'm now just telling you about the circus of the insane. The, uh, <laughs> I don't know why you should be so upset about it. Uh, and people should bear in mind that, uh, yes. that in addition to your, your erotic... There was also a guy who imagined he was surrounded by tigers. <laughs> How, how did that act play itself out? But the best part about it was that they were poorly trained. <laughs> See, he can imagine them any way he wants them, but in his imagination, he cannot train them and they are attacking him. Wait, no, no, wait a moment. You're, you're applying a level of free will here that I, I'm afraid I didn't quite understand All the right, first time. I see what you're it's saying. Not, it's not that he believed he was surrounded by tigers. He was imagining he was surrounded by tigers and imagining that they were poorly trained tigers. When you put it that way, uh, come to think of it, I never knew whether he believed it or he imagined it. It's a fine line. <laughs> he, he perhaps wasn't insane. Perhaps he just wanted attention. 
All I can tell you is he comes out there with a whip and gets attacked by tigers we don't see. <laughs> may, I, may I just, if you give me one moment, I just want to make course, a note course. for a possible story. Invisible tigers. All right. You can have that one. Thank you for that. Um, uh, now, in, in, uh, the, the, the groan from the, from the, uh, the audience uh, a bit earlier, shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't be uh, so surprising that, uh, that you can go in a, in a horrific direction because in addition to your erotic tales, you also wrote a, a number of uh, gothic uh, tales involving uh, horror. Which did you enjoy more? Did you enjoy the, 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 sort of, uh, the, the erotic tales or did you enjoy scaring people? If I have one regret in my life, it is that I never figure out I can put the two of them together. <laughs> that I can say, fuck a little bit, get scared by a gargoyle. I do have to ask, is this a sort of, uh, a sort of gargoyle that's come to life, or is it just a gargoyle that's on a wall and a character in the book is startled by it? It's best if that gargoyle can come to life. Probably. I would say so, yes, yes. Because uh, the, the, just seeing the gargoyle on the building, bit of a first draft idea. I would say when you go back over Try it, to get those guys to come to life. Yes, yeah. when you go back over it looking for cuts, yeah, perhaps right. oh, what if I had that gargoyle come to life? He comes to life, yeah, right? Sure, that's better. <laughs> but the point is better still is if he's got a boner. And then he's like, oh no, here comes this gargoyle. Everybody be scared because he's going to, I don't know whether he's going to eat me or fuck me. <laughs> anyway, I wish I could go back and take some of those sex books and some of those scary books and put them together. It's, it's a very uh, common thing these days. It's, uh, the, the modern horror films in the cinema have a, have a great deal of both uh, uh, sex and, uh, and uh, scary horror. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> Well, it's not easy to make me sad as she was, but now I am sad. Oh, I do, I do apologize. I missed a great opportunity to put some monsters in there, fucking, uh, fucking monsters, and ghosts come around and fuck something. Do you know a movie you would enjoy is a, a movie called The Entity. It stars Barbara Hershey, and she's uh, sexually assaulted by a ghost. That sounds really good. You see... <laughs> It's been, it's been quite a long time since I've seen the film, but I do remember it was uh, yeah. for its time. It's very horrific that you could see um, uh, the imprints of invisible hands uh, depressing uh, the flesh of her body. Oh yeah, right. Because uh, like uh, when you think about it, what else would a ghost do? <laughs> you say you say <laughs> saying a ghost's chief occupation would be just going around, d just taking people. I was, I, it is literally the only thing I can think of that a ghost would do. <laughs> but there's been, what can he do? There's been countless stories involving ghosts where they've done all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, a Christmas right. Carol, you're familiar with uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? I have heard of it. These ghosts, uh, they, they show a miser uh, uh, how uh, he should live his life better and, and care more for mankind. Can I point something out to you? <laughs> Certainly. In that story, we're only seeing like a half an hour tops of each of those ghost lives. They could be... <laughs> Maybe they're spending the rest of their time fucking. You say the taking time out from their busy schedule of having ghost sex with humans. To, 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 oh, yeah, very quickly, I'll be right back. I very quickly have to show this miser the true meaning of Christmas. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Don't blow out the candles. <laughs> Don't you dare put on that dress. I'll be right back. As soon as I get back from Fezziwigs. <laughs> Christmas party from 40 years ago. <laughs> okay, now come back here and fuck you. Have you... I would not be surprised if there's some earlier draft of that story where every one of the ghosts say, hey, look, I could be back at my place fucking right now. You better turn your act around, Groot. <laughs> Why are 
don't want to be taking you into the future. I'd rather be fucking a living person. Why wouldn't the ghosts show Scrooge that aspect of life and say, look, this is what you're missing out on. There's all this sex to be had, Ebenezer Scrooge. You're so in love with money, but you could be having this wonderful uh, libertine existence. That's a great idea. I say, why don't we (laughs) revise A Christmas Carol? Man, now you're talking about it. (laughs) This is now your chance (laughs) to combine horror and just outright sex with ghosts. What a great idea. So it's like, um, he go to sleep, a ghost show up. Mm-hmm. Maybe he bring a girl with him. <laughs> right. Jacob Marlowe says... Right? Uh, I'll, I'll say the role of Scrooge. Uh, who is this? What, you're just a, a blot of mustard, a crumb of beef. Uh, why are you in my bedchamber? So on and so forth. Right. Uh, it's me, Jacob Marlowe. Um... <laughs> I know it's probably going to undercut my argument about how bad it is to be dead after living a bad life, but I am getting laid left and right. (laughs) These chains are not slowing down my fucking. Not one bit. Why, take a look at this. Long sequence of fucking. (laughs) He goes, find some girl, right? He mixes it up, he bring a boy in. <laughs> they start getting on, everybody's going crazy, right? Right. Okay. And Scrooge throws open the sash and he says, Yeah, yeah, you whatever, there, whatever, whatever. Buy me the, buy me the goose in the window, the one as big as you, I'm going to fuck it. <laughs> Merry Christmas! I don't think it'd have to take place at Christmas time. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. If you're not married to Christmas, it opens up a lot of possibilities. <laughs> because now it's summertime and Bastille Day! Sure, put it Bastille Day. Yes, people not wearing so much. Uh, very quickly, before we, uh, we, we turn to uh, the social networking platform Twitter uh, to take some questions from the internet, um, let me ask you, have you seen any uh, filmed adaptations of your works or any representations of you on film? There's been a few over the years. Right, yes. You know, a, very, a very great actor, I believe, Jeffrey Rush, uh, portrayed you in a film in, uh, as you in the insane asylum. Yes, right. How do you feel about someone else pretending to be you? Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm jealous of them, you know. I wish I could pretend to be me. Would you, had you had the opportunity, would you, would you have played yourself in a, in a motion picture? That would have been great, yeah, because uh, I was in a lot of those plays in the mental hospital. I'm a pretty good actor. <laughs> so, uh, how, did, how did you stack up uh, <laughs> as an actor? How did you stack up? Against like soft foot? foot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to be just totally honest, Sawfoot's a great actor. <laughs> you know, like, he tried to put a saw foot into every part he played, but it's surprising how often it'd work out great. <laughs> like, I didn't think about it when I wrote it, but yeah, of course this guy could have a saw on his foot. <laughs> so, he's a pretty good actor. And he make it work, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So that's a challenge for an actor. Try to do that, Meryl Streep, like... What if you have to say every one of your character uh, is holding a saw in their foot? It sounds like a challenge to me. (laughs) Would have liked to have seen the Iron Lady uh, holding a saw with a foot. And justify it, right? Yes. (laughs) That is the secret. That's the challenge. That is the secret. For the actor and the writers and the director. So challenge all around. And to the audience, I dare say. <laughs> sure. yes. Talk about a suspension of disbelief because we remember that Prime Minister of England and she did not have a saw on her foot. As far as we knew. Right. <laughs> all right, so we now turn to uh, some questions from, uh, from Twitter. Um, oh, boy. Yes, and these are, these are uh, people who are f- uh, familiar with you. And, uh, I don't think I'm going to have an answer to them. Well, we'll see. Uh, many suggest the use of feces eating in your work is an anti-capitalist metaphor of the shit-eater forward slash worker. Do you agree? Oh, that's funny you should say that because for me it was just eating shit. <laughs> like, uh, it's weird to think that it would have to be something else. Right. Some, some, <laughs> sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah, and always somebody sitting down eating a plate of shit is just that, man. Because... <laughs> 
You don't gotta justify it some other way. It's terrific on its own. <laughs> Not as popular an opinion as you might think. That's so funny to think that somebody will say, there's gotta be a reason for that guy to eat that shit. It must mean something else. Come on, man, he's eating shit. <laughs> Isn't that enough? That's a, more than enough. <laughs> um, uh, how do you define erotica? Oh, yeah, well, how do I define erotica? Okay, so you get a buddy of yours. <laughs> and he tells you, like, I heard there was this thing that you can give a girl and it will make her crazy for sex. And so you go down to the pier and you talk to some guy who's like, I know where to get that. <laughs> and you get that. And you bring it back and you get some prostitute. And you get some girls who aren't prostitutes yet, but they're going to be by the end of the night. <laughs> and everybody drink this stuff that's going to make them crazy for sex, right? And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, who cares? This has been a problem for you in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been a problem. Yes. That stuff doesn't work so well, so sometimes you have to do something else, like tie somebody up. <laughs> it's like... And you say that right away. I'm giving you something to make you crazy for sex. If it works, great. If not, I'm going to tie you up. <laughs> and you just go and go and go all weekend. That is how I define <laughs> you've erotica. Made, you've, made, you've made a weekend of it. Yeah, you don't want to do that Monday to Friday because it's nice to have some, get something done in the week. Yes. It makes the, 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 the weekend that much more enjoyable. You've done all your, your errands and your chores. That's and so exactly forth, right. If it's can... a party Monday to Friday, then what's the point of the weekend? <laughs> Agreed. Uh, what is the most painful thing you have ever done to another living human being? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> well, let's see here. Burying alive is not that painful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Uh, throwing somebody off of a building is more exciting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's a real tough one. Oh, okay. Making them drink acid. <laughs> oh, is, that, is that erotic in any way? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty erotic, yeah. Yeah, it's not bad, you know. What were the circumstances of that? Well... Is this one of your weekends? This is one of your wild flings? Well, this is what happened when the weekends spill into Monday. And, <laughs> and it's like you tried everything else already. And somebody say, I got some acid. And it's like, who should we make to drink it? Uh, <laughs> so everyone's on board with this. The whole party. Certainly, we, want, we all want to see someone drink this acid. No, it was just really me and this one other guy that was liking that idea. <laughs> he, by the way, <laughs> he was a real son of a bitch, that guy. <laughs> that was a bad, bad guy. Anyway, so somebody drink the acid and the whole idea is let's try to fuck her before she die. move on to maybe perhaps a more, more literary question? I didn't write the questions. Do you? No, no, you certainly did not, but you might as well have. <laughs> did you know that your satire 120 Days of Sodom would be so prophetic of modern America's excesses? Oh, that's a brainy one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you hope people will remember you for? Forgive me. For what do you hope people will remember you? Believe it or not. <laughs> can I can I decide now? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think you can. <laughs> There's a lot of things people know about me. <laughs> Everybody know about the sex. Everybody know about the violence, right? All that stuff. But it is also true that I kept bees and made honey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and it was really, really delicious. <laughs> if there's one thing I'd like to be remembered for, it was a guy who worked hard on that honey and really like um, gave those bees good flowers to pollinate, you know, so that the honey will have a rich texture to it, you know. You know, sometimes it was orange blossoms, you know, and you get the orange blossom honey. And I would like to be known for that. And also that sometimes you would put a girl in there with the bees. <laughs> Just to give the bees uh, some excitement. <laughs> shame. It's a shame you couldn't make a go of the, the honey-making business. Or well, today we'd have uh, jugs of honey sh shaped like a man making a prostitute drink acid. <laughs> It would be in everyone's yeah, cupboard. Yeah, that would be great instead of the uh, bear that you have now. Yes. You know, it never, goes, that, yeah. never goes bad, honey. It never goes off. It's good, it's good forever. Honey is good forever. It's the only food that never expires. Oh, yeah. So some of your honey from back then... <laughs> it's could, probably could still around be, today. It could very well. Can, can anyone confirm they have some dessert honey in their cupboards? Is there any? No. No, no dessert honey. Yeah, well, it was pretty good, honey. And uh, anyway, it'd be nice if people knew more about that. I like to think that now they do. Yeah, like, yeah, try to pick yourself up some dessert, honey. Uh, before I return you to, to your own time, that's all, the, all the, uh, the questions that we have for you. Before I return you to your, own to your own time, is there anything that you would like to do here in the 21st century? Oh, I got a little time here yes, to spend Yes, absolutely. I can take you anywhere, anywhere you'd like. In the 21st century? I can take you any when you like. It doesn't have to be the 21st century. Even We can go the past, present, far future. You're going to be kidding me. We can go anywhere we anywhere. want to. The world's your oyster. I would like to go back to like the year zero and tell those Roman guys, like, let me nail him up there. <laughs> I think we ought to leave it there. The Marquis de Sade, ladies and gentlemen. My thanks to the Marquis de Sade for his time. And special thanks to Mr. Andy Daly for no particular reason. Join us again next time when our guest will be Gore Vidal. This podcast is produced by Messrs. Ben Zelovansky and Paul F. Tompkins, with special material written by Mr. Zelovansky. The producers wish to thank Cody Fisher, Jim Yatto, Alex Berg, Susan Hale, and everyone at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre Los Angeles, and Lauren Rock and Joel Arquios at 826LA. Our theme was composed and performed by Mr. Eben Schletter, Esquire. This program is recorded live and monthly at the UCB Theatre Los Angeles. If you'd like to attend a future recording, tickets may be acquired at ucbtheatre.com. The theatre donates all proceeds to 826LA. For updates on future performances, please like the Dead Authors page on Facebook. For additional updates or to ask questions of our guests from the safety of your very own thumbs, follow us on Twitter at DeadAuthorPod. The original Dead Authors reading series was created by Mr. John Corn. Until next time, this is H.G. Wells saying, the show is over. 